So if you were given a choice and it was between having to lose your hearing or having to lose your sight, have you ever considered which one you would choose? For many people, that's actually a difficult choice, although some people would say, oh, they can make that choice immediately. But let's rephrase it now just a little bit. After making that decision, what if you were told that there was a possibility that you were going to have to lose both? What would life be like if you could not see and possibly also could not hear? For many of us, it's unimaginable. And yet, there are people out there in the world that God has put in that situation, and yet he still manages to reach them and give them very productive lives. We're going to explore that subject and so much more today on this episode of the Audacious Faith Podcast. So excited about today's podcast because my guests are extremely special people that uh, have a big meaning in my life. I will tell you, I was thinking about it as we were going into this podcast, realizing that on December 1st of this year coming up, 2021, it'll mark 35 years since the Lord gave me the opportunity to go into ministry as a youth pastor back then in the town of Santa Clarita, California. Now, the one thing common between then and now was when I started, I was also sitting right next to the two people that are sitting on my right. And that was pretty awesome. And uh, we've been great friends through the years. And I'm so excited to have them with me today. And that is Pastor Jim Hansen, his wife Joan. So great to have you guys. Thank Appreciate you. it. And I'm still looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have. All right. By the way, you guys look really good considering it's been. 35 years, right? <laughs> right? Okay, so. For as old as you you're, are. Yeah, you're supposed to tell me the same thing, but yeah, it's all right. All right, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go on from you there. You were really young back then, Jay. I know, I was really young, and unfortunately that's not the case anymore. But, but anyways, um, we're going to go ahead and, and kind of introduce you guys to our viewing audience today. So why don't you go ahead and just give a little background, how you met, maybe a brief testimony of faith, and you know, tell us a little bit about your family as well. Okay, how we met. Mm -hmm. um, well, first of all, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home where the church was the center of things in our family. And nice. we, um, we were the first ones there, the last ones to leave. Um, we were, my dad was, was to the pastor, a right-hand man, and um, and so ministry was very common mm -hmm. and important to us. And, um, and my desire to serve the Lord started young. And, um, and then went to Bible school and we met in Bible school. And I'll let him tell you from there. There you go. <laughs> well, I also grew up in a Christian home. Um, we often were the last ones to leave. I don't know that we were the first ones there, uh, but uh, my mom especially liked to talk a lot, and so often we were the last ones out the door. But uh, my, my parents served in the church that I grew up in in Reno, Nevada, and um, at about the age of almost five at a vacation Bible school, I put my trust and faith in, in Jesus Christ. 
I would love to say that my life was um, one of following him from that day on, but uh, there were times of struggle. There were times of uh, seeing what was around me, thinking that was something I wanted to get involved in. And so um, between um, that time and, and uh, about 23, I, I had a lot of ups and downs, but I did belonged to a very strong youth group. Um, in fact, we're going to have a 50th reunion for our youth group this year. Wow, that's uh, awesome. So that's awesome. There, there are guys that I went to youth group with that were still in connection, guys that are still serving the Lord. And so um, when I was 23, I went to Bible school. And while I was there, I met this young lady. And we... Uh, started uh, a friendship and then started dating. We graduated in 1980, uh, were married the same year. And then in 82, we had our first child in 84, our second child in 86, our third child in um, 86. I also went back to school. I went to the master's uh, college. Mm -hmm. That's where I met Jay. Yes. And we started serving together at Santa Clarita Baptist Church and Joan and uh, Val were a big part of that in our ministries. And then um, I graduated in 88 from the master's college, and in 89, our fourth child was born. So it was a pretty um, busy decade for the Hansons, and um, that's, uh, that's how we got together, and that's how uh, the Lord has led up to that point. Awesome. And you got grandchildren now too, right? How many of those? You don't have to name every one of them, but I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Maybe I should put you on the spot. I don't know. Maybe that would be better. We have five grandchildren. You have five grandchildren. Okay. Because yes. grandma always has to have those statistics. Yeah. I think he's right? got this one down. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. I can even name them. There you go. Don't ask me their birth dates, but I can name them. That's fantastic. Okay. So let's, uh, let, let's go um, on from there. So... At, at Santa Clarita Baptist Church, obviously, you were doing youth ministry, and that was a, I mean, it was totally new for me. Ministry was not completely new for you guys. You had been doing some ministries prior to that, and that's part of the reason we kind of got connected together. You had the experience. I had no experience, and so it was a very good match there. Um, prior to that, though, didn't you, you had some experience in a type of a group type home service type ministry. Is that correct, if I'm remembering right? Um, at one point early in our marriage, mm -hmm. um, we had two kids. We took on, as my job provided a home and a job, and another income, mm -hmm. we took on a care home um, for handicapped children. Mm. These were children with total need. Um, dress them and feed them and diaper them and bathe them and and um, so it was a challenging year, <laughs> for sure, with a lot of lessons in it. So you did that for a year, right? Uh -huh. and, and so then after that, then you got led into youth ministry. Well, kind or of. Kind of or during was that same time, um, he was serving as youth minister at the little church we went to. God, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it was more of a lay position. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a um, paid staff position. From the time we graduated from Bible school till, uh, and it was basically a five-year period, 
uh, I served in a number of different areas of ministry. I was the Christian ed director, basically Sunday school superintendent, just overseeing all of the education ministries in the church. I was a youth leader. We didn't really have the position pastor, but youth leader. Uh, I was uh, a teacher in every age group of Sunday school, uh, from adult down to little kids. Um, and Joan served in a number of ministries, ladies' ministries and different ministries. We just got a lot of experience of serving while working in a grocery store. That, that was my job, and I drove a school bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did those jobs to earn an income, but our goal and our desire was to serve the Lord in ministry wherever he opened the door. And so that's how he kind of led. And we really, in going to Santa Clarita, um, we went there to attend the church while I was going to master's. I did not desire to be the youth pastor. I did not seek that position. I remember that the opportunity was presented and you you went after that. You It was something you wanted to do. I was actually called into the pastor's office and offered the position. And uh, at first I thought, there's no way. It doesn't fit in with my schedule. Um, I, I, there's, I can't do that. Uh, the idea of being paid to do ministry was interesting because I kind of wanted that, but uh, it's not something that had opened up to that point. And I left that meeting with the pastor and Lauren Glass, mm-hmm. who was the uh, head of the deacon board, and went to work, and I got called into the owner's office, and they offered me a position that presented me a schedule that would allow me to be off on Wednesdays, off on Saturdays, off on Sundays, mm-hmm. and uh, those were the exact days I needed to do the youth ministry. And so the fact that I was only going to be the senior high, I had somebody that was going to work with the junior high, and those days were provided for me. Uh, I got out of that meeting and I ran to a payphone because we didn't have cell phones in those days. Mm-hmm. And I ran to the payphone, I called the church office, and I said, Pastor Pete, if uh, that position is still open, I think the Lord wants me to take it. Mm. So that's kind of how we got involved in that. It was more of a surprise to me than anybody. I think that that's what the Lord was doing. So the amazing thing, and we've looked at this in various podcast episodes, we've kind of seen this, how God just works everything out. He doesn't waste anything, all the experiences he uses. Uh, It's amazing what you're just mentioning because like you're saying that I felt the call to youth ministry at that particular point, but had actually walked out of the room when it was presented because I I wasn't ready. I thought because I I had no experience, there was no way in the world they would hire me. And it was actually Val, my wife, who actually was mad at me that night and kind of forced me to call the church the next day. And, And really what I'm thinking, I was thinking at the time was correct. There was no way they were gonna give me that position. I had no experience. But God also had you guys there and was putting all this together, moving schedules around, doing all these kind of things. And, and so it's just amazing how God works. And as we look at life backwards, we're able to see how all the pieces fit together. Okay, so, so taking your, 
the tough ministry that you had with uh, what you were mentioning, the special needs and all of that, and the year that you guys did that, it's about a year, you said? Yeah, yeah. exactly a year as, as it turned out. <laughs> okay, so, so you're doing that. That's part of experience that obviously it meant something at the time, but God was also preparing uh, for the future. Youth ministry as well, something you had already been doing, something you weren't necessarily going to continue to emphasize throughout all the years, although you would have a ministry kind of in a way with your own children, right? Okay. Um, where do you see the, the, it all fitting in, like the, the youth ministry, everything? I mean, obviously God doesn't waste it. So, so what are the main lessons he taught you? Um, my father-in-law served, Joan's dad, served mm -hmm. in so many areas of ministry all of his life and wondered, got to his 50s mm -hmm. and wondered, why in the world had he done all these things and what use was it? And kind of it was a waste. And the Lord led him to a ministry at a ranch for troubled teens where it all fed. Mm -hmm. It all just came together. Everything, every skill he learned, everything he did. Well, that exact same thing happened to, to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent 20 years in the grocery business. I learned how to manage. I learned how to uh, deal with customers. I learned how to deal with all sorts of different situations. Mm -hmm. The youth group ministry, um, at that time, I was the youth pastor. I was a full-time student at Masters. I worked 20 plus or 30 plus hours in the grocery store. I was a father. I was a husband. I was so busy, I didn't know which way to turn. Mm -hmm. That happens to me all the time now, right? Um, where things are just coming at me, and I was so well prepared for doing what I do. Mm -hmm. There isn't a skill that I developed over those 20 years of ministry and work and involvement that I don't use constantly in the ministry God's called me mm -hmm. to uh, for the last 30 years. And so uh, it does all fit together. I, I tell young people, don't ever get the idea that, that this period of time is a waste for you mm -hmm. because God doesn't waste anything. Um, how he's going to use it, I can't tell you. Um, there was no way I expected that I would be doing what I'm doing uh, as I was going through all of these things. And yet God was developing it. We think of training as going to college or uh, some kind of job or something, but often the training is just the daily experiences you have in life mm -hmm. that God uses to develop you into that person he's got that position for. And you may not know it for 30 or 40 years of your life. For my father-in-law, it was almost 50 years of his life mm -hmm. before it all fit together. Yeah. None of that was a waste. Absolutely. So. Let's see how he continued to do some things here. So then a dramatic shift takes place. Something that, I mean, I'm trying to remember back, obviously, and, and, and all, of, all of a sudden I'm hearing about you switching to a completely different type of ministry, a ministry that neither one of you had really any experience in prior, correct? Um, I had some. A little bit. Okay. And... But it was a total, just total change, okay? What led you to the ministry to deaf and then eventually deaf-blind as well? 
I, I remember you being a key person in that. I know God really laid it heavy on you. I'm not, I'm not sure how it came in with you. So I'll let you guys discuss that. Okay. Well, um, we visited a longtime friend who was mm -hmm. working in the ministry that I had known growing up. Um, we became more familiar with the ministry there with deaf blind and we, um, it, it did touch my heart. Um, here's people who, um, who are not going to turn on the TV and hear the gospel, who are not going mm -hmm. to turn on the radio and hear the gospel, um, who can't pick up a piece of literature and read the gospel. Now, there are things in Braille, there were ways, but the way to reach someone was a physical reach out and touch them. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, it did touch my heart. And um, um, we saw a need. There was a need there. And um, you speak of it like we all of a sudden made a huge change, but the mm -hmm. Lord didn't bring it about that way okay. for us. Um, we became involved while we still lived in Santa Clarita. We would drive down to Los Angeles mm -hmm. um, on Sundays for the church service. That was for about three years. Mm, so we became okay. acquainted with the ministry before we were actually part of it. Okay. And then, um, and then we, uh, the need was there for someone to live on campus. Um, it was close to where Jim was working at the time, and everything just seemed to be. The Lord eased us into it, and so um, you use the word audacious, and uh, and mm. I, I we kind of think, well, it kind of doesn't fit us because okay. God God took us and eased us into it. But we realize that people looking at it from the outside see this major change in our mm -hmm. lives. So um, yeah, I don't know. What do you want to say? Well. Uh, uh, it was a little different than, uh, than some of that in the fact that we did become involved because um, when we did visit, they, there was an apparent need for somebody to come and fill the pulpit, somebody to come and preach. And we had stepped out of the position as youth pastor. Uh, I had stepped out of that position and we were involved in Santa Clarita uh, in any ministry where they needed somebody, we would fit in. Mm -hmm. But we had no set place that we were involved and so on the way out I just said if you need somebody to preach give us give me a call I'd be more than happy to do that I just thought I was getting the itch to preach more mm -hmm. I'd been trained to do that and I was looking uh, for I was looking forward to that opportunity and so they did they called and asked and I actually went we went back on my birthday so I can remember the exact date. And um, we went back on my birthday in 1990, and I preached my first message. I had an interpreter who would interpret for me while I preached. And um, after we had that service, I was, we were taken out to lunch by our friends that were serving there. And they asked if we would come on a regular basis. So we went home, we prayed about it. Joan had had this desire to work with deaf and had had some sign language I was getting the idea, desire to preach we had no nothing tying us to Santa Clarita in the way of a ministry at that point so we uh, 
we said yes, we'd come on a regular basis. And basically, we've been there ever since. Um, after a few months, they started calling me pastor. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. How do you pastor people you can't communicate to? Because I couldn't communicate with those people. I could sign maybe one or two signs, uh, but it didn't fit because meat and gravy don't fit into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, I had to figure out something to do. So I asked Joan to teach me something to say to the folks on the way to church. Uh, we were on our way to church, and I said, teach me something to say to the folks when we get there. And so she taught me good morning, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a big thing, except I'm not a hand-eye coordinated person. Uh-huh. Uh, for me to do anything with my hands takes a lot of work. I had to practice for 35 minutes, 40 minutes on the drive, doing good morning, people driving by wondering what in the world is that guy saying uh, or doing, but I'm practicing. And then I got up and <clears throat> actually said that to the people, mm-hmm. signed it, and they kind of went wild because nobody that had come to fill the pulpit, no sighted hearing person, had actually tried to communicate to them oh, personally. Nice. Okay. And so then it was like every week I had to learn something new. And where God needed to prepare Joan with some language and some skills in that way, Mm -hmm. God had to prepare me for our ministry in a lot of other areas. But the one area that wasn't a concern to the Lord was communication. Mm -hmm. Because if you throw Jim into a place where he can't communicate, he will find a way. Right. I have to communicate. Mm-hmm. And so God knows that about me. He knows that that was the last skill that was a concern because I would start doing that. And so I did. I started learning something new every week and got excited for the folks. They, they got excited. I got enough signs that I could memorize a prayer and I prayed for the, in, in the service. Nice. And then a year, we'd been there about a year and I memorized a message. Very frustrating because I had to <clears throat> only say what I memorized. And I don't preach yeah, that way. Exactly. And so, um, but, but I preached my first sign message in sign language after I'd been there a little over a year. So I became the pastor of the church in that three years. Mm-hmm. Um, that was before we left, before we joined the mission. Before we became missionaries which I've still never figured out because we've never changed from what we've been doing all along. Yeah. But now we have a title. <laughs> Got it. So it must have been a, I mean, to them, what you're, what you're bringing up, to just see their, their, their reaction because of showing the concern and the love and the wanting to connect. Because, I mean, when people know that you care about them and you're going to make that effort to see that value in them, I mean, that must have been huge. As far as how, how we were also there with our four kids, right? And um, and that was different than they had had, and mm-hmm. um, and I was one of the interpreters, mm-hmm. and so they, uh, our family was involved, right? And so your kids, for the most part, learned a lot of the same skills, right? Oh, they, they became of, interpreters. Yeah. They uh, they became what would be termed native signers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grew up with the language. Um, in fact, our youngest son, Jeremy, uh, could communicate in sign language and didn't even know he could. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, he would have conversations with deaf and deafblind and didn't even know that he was signing. But it was just part of the language skills that he had learned. Awesome. So he started that from, like, what age? He was a year old when we started okay. going there. Yeah, yeah. So he was in the stroller beside me. So basically, you know, it's just like people possibly are in a home now where, let's say, it's Spanish and English or something, and they're learning mm -hmm. two languages at once. That was pretty much his situation. Yeah. And all, our kids have all used this in their adult life, too. Awesome. So. Totally awesome. So, so that changed then. You said it wasn't really an, an audacious change in the sense that it wasn't all at, all at once. What, was it scary at all for either one of you? I mean, it's not what you originally planned. So, it was scary for me. I, I know Joan's going to answer this too because it was scary for me in the fact of I, at that point that we got involved and got started, and especially when we started considering joining the mission, um, we knew that that's what the Lord wanted us to do. I mean, it was very apparent for us. It didn't seem like anything more than the next step in our Christian life. Mm -hmm. It was the step we were supposed to take. But that I could actually be used. In fact, I knew other people that I had worked with or that I become aware of much more skilled, much better suited to do this than mm -hmm. me. Why me? I, I couldn't figure that out. Okay. Um, but, um, but the fact that the Lord was definitely opening all the doors and, and preparing the way. Uh, I look back on it now, as, as you've already alluded to, uh, looking back at things, um, I look back on it and see that I had been prepared, mm -hmm. but I, at that point, I didn't know I had been prepared. Right. And so how about for you? Okay, probably my biggest fear was we had four children, and mm -hmm. we were raising them in a very unique, odd environment, and I didn't want unique odd kids okay and so <laughs> do you have was, unique odd kids or <laughs> they're unique okay <laughs> i'm just wondering i we wanted to put them. you on camera <laughs> we love you all kids <laughs> um no we um you know i had this fear that that god called us to this ministry and then our kids were going to be ruined because of it mm -hmm. and then you know the lord had to bring me to the point of really teaching me that God didn't call us to the ministry at the expense of our kids, but mm. rather for their special upbringing. Mm. And, um, and then we homeschooled, and I didn't feel qualified to homeschool. I learned to, mm -hmm. <laughs> but every year I was trying to find another way and then a school setting to get them in and, and all of this. And, and Jim helped me with that and realized that if the Lord wants that, he's going to open it up. And, okay. um, and we ended up homeschooling the kids all the way through to graduation. And, um, and they've all done quite well. So mm -hmm. I, I can attest to the fact that you have some great kids. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, thank you. They're pretty amazing. So, um, so yeah, okay. So, so all of that gets put together. And you mentioned about not being qualified to homeschool, didn't feel qualified to homeschool. Isn't it amazing how God just takes all our unqualifications, at least in our mind, 
and then gives us the ability as long as we're willing to do what he wants us to do, right? Absolutely. So, so going along there, then, then let's explain, because obviously, I mean, I've been there, but for the people that are, are watching, you're, you're, we're thinking of a church here, but it's way more than a church. I mean, you have a place where you are all week long, and the, the church part of it is it's just, it's, it's even optional for the residents, correct? So, mm, yes. so the actual living facility, which is part of what you do, is not necessarily a, a ministry requirement. It, it's, it's a ministry to them, but they're not required to go. So, so just explain how all this works, what you do, like, you know, all week. Okay, well... <laughs> Uh, the, the biggest part of the ministry is the apartment complex for independent mm -hmm. living. Mm -hmm. We have 33 units. Uh, they are separate apartments, and they are established for the independent living of deaf-blind. Now, in, that apart in those apartments, we do have some deaf that we allowed to move there for, um, for a need that we had to fill some empty apartments at a time. But really, right now, the apartments would only be open to a deaf-blind person coming and living there. Okay. Uh, we also have some sighted hearing uh, family members, uh, husbands, wives of deaf-blind. Mm -hmm. Or um, and then we have a uh, our staff, our our other coworkers, and there's uh, six of us that um, operate as a co as uh, the team that does the ministry there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's this 24-7 kind of job that, that we have of overseeing these apartments and caring for them. And then the ministry part is we're friends and neighbors. Okay. Uh, we live there. We function as friends and neighbors. So our neighbors are special. <laughs> they need help a mm -hmm. lot at times. And so if your neighbor came to you and said, can you help me with something? would you be willing to do that? Well, hopefully you would be. Uh, we are there for that purpose, to help and aid our neighbors. Right. And so we do all sorts of special things that you might be able to think about that the deafblind... For one thing, you, you don't want the deafblind driving to the store. You, ju you, you just don't want that. I could understand so, that. Sure. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, and sometimes they struggle with money. They, they get all this money and it all feels the same to them. Okay. So they need somebody to kind of organize it and tell them which, what is what. Okay. And maybe the pills that they're taking or, um, or they have some special need in their apartment. They can't figure out how to fix it or what to do. So um, they, they call on us. And then we have the church, the, the chapel, which is Grace Bible Deaf Church, and I'm the pastor of that. And so that's a part of that ministry, and uh, we, we have services. Uh, we basically have one service a week now on Sunday at 4 o'clock, and people are invited to come. And we pray always that we have enough interpreters because mm -hmm. for a deaf-blind, you need individual interpreters for every deaf-blind person. Mm. And we can show you how we do that if you'd right. like. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so turn a little bit. we're going to turn here on you a little bit. Um, and so if I was deaf-blind, uh, I would be receiving sign language tactically by touch. And so as I'm preaching... 
Uh, I'm voicing and signing at the same time, trying to speak two languages at the same time, and I mess up in both of them, if you're wondering. Uh, but uh, sign language is not English, and so I'm speaking English and trying to sign a language closer to French than, than English. And um, while I'm doing that, individual interpreters are interpreting for deafblind who are sitting out there. We may have anywhere from uh, 11 to 12 uh, deafblind deaf blind, uh, in the service. So, so they don't, I, I mean, there's people that know sign language, but this is more than that. I mean, this is where you're literally to the touch. I mean, you're not just. Yeah, it's, it's a form of sign language. And, and most of the deaf, uh, or the deafblind, I'm sorry, um, were deaf before they became blind. They have, many of them have something called Usher syndrome, which is a person is born deaf or hard of hearing. In their late teens, early 20s, they, become, they develop retinitis pigmentosa, which is mm -hmm. the detachment of the retina, and they start losing their vision. And it can go quickly, it can go slowly. It's different for each individual, but at some point, they will become blind. Um, it just happens. And there's nothing that can be done for them. That is the number one cause of deaf blindness in the world. There are other causes, but that's the number one. So many of these people had sign language. They had that form of communication. They just had to turn it into touch, into feeling it, it. instead okay. of seeing it. Okay. So when you combine all this together, because you're talking about the fact that you're there, that's where you live, you're helping and assisting the residents, whether they're going to the church or not. Um, and, you know, some people think about, for instance, you've heard of pastors and their families that have like a parsonage that's on site or next door to the church. And one of the things you hear about ministry through the years is, oh, it might be nice to be a mile away or something because you, it seems that you're always on call. Um, and you guys have been doing this now for over 30 years. Okay, it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, so, did, did, was that ever tough? I mean, I'm assuming it was, right? Yesterday? Yes. Yesterday, <laughs> right. Every day, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Well, for one thing, um, our lives center around the lives of others, mm -hmm. which is ministry, but, uh, it, but in our case, the people that live in those apartments, uh, our neighbors, um, they change our schedule all the time. So mm -hmm. we have our plans. We have, I, I leave the house, the apartment to, with a plan. I may get two steps before that plan totally changes. Right. And, you, you know, you've been doing uh, your ministry for a long time. You've been pastoring. Mm -hmm. That happens. That uh, it can be a phone call. It can be a text. It can be somebody mm -hmm. showing up at your house. Or um, those things happen all the time. But yeah, ministering where you live, we can get those knocks on the doors at two in the morning, three mm -hmm. in the morning, uh, and then we have an alarm system. So sometimes they just pull an alarm and. And we get notified that way. Wow. So um, there's, yeah. And yet, those times when we're really tired and we're really frustrated and we wonder if this is what we want to continue doing, mm -hmm. 
the Lord gives us maybe a break or something and we start thinking about it, we start praying about it, we start talking about it, sharing it with other people and we realize we wouldn't want to do anything else. Amen, amen. Now one thing that came to my mind while we were discussing the service and you were giving the examples and everything, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but I did because there's often a time where I'll be sharing a message and I know that half the people are daydreaming and asleep. Okay, and no matter how good the message is, have you ever realized that all your interpreters must at least be paying attention to you and probably the people that are being interpreted too because how could you not be, right? Or, I mean, or, or do they still daydream off? We've had them fall asleep. We know that because their hands get very heavy. Okay. <laughs> or they just pull them away. But, but yeah, that would be you. No, I, I mean, that question goes to you. Oh, well, uh, w one of the things that uh, I have to trust those people that are interpreting out mm -hmm. there, that they're sharing the same thing I'm sharing. Good point. Or if they're not sharing the same thing I'm sharing, that they're sharing what they need to share. Okay. Because one of the things that happens with a deaf-blind person, if in the middle of the message they get a question, mm -hmm. you have to respond to that question because they won't pay attention to anything else mm. until that question gets answered. So the interpreter? The interpreter has to respond to that question. And they obviously can't ask you, because you're... Sometimes it, sometimes it they do, or... Depending on who it is, but... Yeah, so sometimes, in fact, Joan has a story. You, I, one of the things you've asked us is, do we have any unique situations? So she has a story regarding a unique situation awesome. that answers this. Go for it. Okay. Well, we had a man move to our facility, uh -huh. deaf-blind. Um, he communicates in Braille okay. and not in sign language. You can fingerspell to him um, into his hand, but otherwise it's Braille. And um, so when he got settled in, we invited him to church, and his response was, I'm not into that. So um, then we met on Thursday night. We had a prayer meeting and Bible study time, and in walks this man. And, um, and you know, he's just very social. So mm -hmm. there's something going on. He wanted to be a part of it. So um, he sits down there, and I'm typing to him. And he receives it by Braille, but he's verbal. Okay. And so he says... Um, you don't really believe this, do you? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, that's out loud in the, in the service. Uh -huh. But um, anyway, that's where he was. Um, but he continued to come mm -hmm. because it was a social event. And, um, and he would laugh sometimes mm -hmm. at what was being said. And, uh, and then um, he, on a Sunday morning one time, Jim was preaching, and I don't remember where, but he talked about salvation, which wasn't the main part of the message, but he talked about it. Mm -hmm. And um, the man says, um, <laughs> um, what is this salvation? Mm -hmm. And so I can't just leave that. So, and True. he's going on with the message. So back in the back of the auditorium, I'm having a whole different Bible lesson. And we went through his 
need of salvation because he's a sinner and that God provided that mm -hmm. and that it's a free gift and that, you know, he and I gave him scripture with it. And mm -hmm. when I finished, he just sat there for a little bit. And so I said, so do you want to accept Jesus as your savior? Mm -hmm. He said, I think so. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he didn't really understand. So I kind of went back and recapped the whole thing and and went through the whole gospel again. And then I asked him again, do you want to, um, do you want to accept Jesus as your savior? And he said, I think so. Well, the message was finally coming to an end there. Okay. So I thought, you know, I don't know if he's really ready or not. He just thinks so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I said, okay, Jim, I'll have Jim talk to you after the service. And okay. uh, Jim had been working with him a little bit already and getting to know him. So he sat down with him and he went through the gospel with him and shared and uh, asked him if he would like to accept Jesus as a savior. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, I think so. Okay. And Jim led him in a prayer of salvation prayer. Mm -hmm. And um, and we have seen change in him. Nice. But I learned from Jim later that Chris loves chocolate cake. And if you were to say, Chris, his name, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. would you like a piece of chocolate cake? Mm -hmm. He would say, I think so. So that's just the way he responds. So it's getting to know the people, yeah. getting to know each one. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think so is an absolute affirmative That's an affirmative. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. And, but that's him. That's not all deafblind. That's him. Very unique. Well, I think the good thing about the story is not only did he hear the gospel two, three times from you, but then I'm assuming that what you gave was consistent with what you told him. So by the time he was done, he really knew it, right? Yeah. Which is good. And, and that would be important. I'm thinking you're mentioning the various interpreters and sometimes the conversation, there's going to be a question. So I'm assuming the person can't just know how, how to interpret. They've got to actually know what they're talking about. Well... We have situations where we've had interpreters that are from local community colleges. They okay. come in, they need a practicum, mm -hmm. which is practice in interpreting. And an interpreter, by the nature of, of the position, the, 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 uh, job the job, is to be a conduit of information. They are just to take it in and give it out. Right. They are not to put any of their own spin on it or anything there, okay. just give it out as clearly as they can. And so we have had interpreters interpreting for deafblind that I wouldn't be confident of them going off okay. on some, sure. uh, some different thing. But we always try to have those interpreters with a, a believer. Got it. Okay. Or with somebody watching them to make sure that if there's any questions that they have. We're not mm -hmm. trying to micromanage or anything, but if there's any questions or if there's any difficulties that somebody's there to help them and assist them in explaining things. But for our normal interpreters, the ones that come, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just confident that if they need to share something, they can. And I've been asked questions after the service where 
uh, I can explain some things or, or share some things. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't always get done during the service. Okay. But uh, there have been those times. And uh, I have to trust. I have to always trust the interpreters. And that's true. If I, even when I was preaching and had a, an interpreter, I'd be voicing and had an interpreter. I don't know what they're saying. Right. So I just had to trust and depend on them. And God's, I've been able to do that and relax. And so I would think that if you had people that were just coming from the local colleges or, or however, they're obviously having to take in and repeat what you're saying. So in a form, in a way, it was a witness of truth to them. Absolutely. Right. We remind our deafblind believers that they have a ministry to these students. And that is that mm -hmm. they are coming and they are hearing the word in order to be able to get their um, practicum time in. And mm -hmm. so they miss that right now because it's not going on. Right. But, um, yeah. So okay. we are a deafblind church with a ministry to sighted hearing. So that, that's awesome. So, it's, so in, in a way, you're giving that purpose and that evangelism to your residents and those that are in here. Because they, yeah. as believers, they are gifted. Uh-huh. They have sure. that ability that the Lord has given them to serve within the body of Christ. And so finding a place for them to serve, finding a place for them to minister, it's difficult at times. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they, they don't want it uh, mm -hmm. because ministry is responsibility and sure. pressure and, and there's some stress involved in it because you're dealing with people uh, and they try to avoid those things sometimes. But... Um, but for those that want it, we're always looking for ways to involve them and get them uh, serving the Lord, as, as all believers should be doing. So I'm going to sound really simplistic in my response here, but that is a really cool aspect that I never thought of. Yeah. That, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so, so let's put this into focus. Over th how long has it been? It's over 30 years, so how long? Uh, well, we've been involved in the ministry for 31 years. Okay. We've actually been living there for 20, uh, 26 years, okay. no, 28 years, 28 okay. years. And we've been official missionaries for 27 years. So we kind of came back door into the ministry. We were mm -hmm. there. I was the pastor of the church. Uh, we moved there and then the mission, we joined the mission and we weren't too concerned about them accepting us because what are they going to do? Fire me as the pastor. Right. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but it was kind of how the Lord led us. It was just mm -hmm. different. So, so putting all that into focus now, and, I, and, and if there's no answer to this, that's fine. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. Is there any type of goals or vision or something, a shift or, or anything that God's showing you as you continue to go in that ministry? Um. We have been looking for our replacement mm, okay. for quite a while now. Um, we're asking the Lord to bring along workers that can come along and maybe learn from us some okay. of the lessons we've learned. So some of the things that we've learned uh, were because, uh, you know, from the School of Hard Knocks, we... We really didn't know what we were doing. There was nobody to kind of direct us. Now, this ministry had gone on a long time before we got there, but mm -hmm. the ones that were there left. And so we weren't, we didn't have help in some respects. 
And I'd like that not to happen. I'd like some of the lessons we've learned to be passed on so somebody didn't have to learn the hard way like we did. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're looking for kind of our replacement. And, um, and until that happens, we just keep going. Um, don't know what else to do. I kind of expect that maybe the Lord's coming back soon and, and we Could won't, be. maybe that's why we're not finding our replacement, but whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the reason, as long as we've got good health, we're, mm-hmm. uh, we're able to do the things. As long as we've got the team that we have, we've got some really good coworkers. We're shorthanded. We could use more mm-hmm. and we're always looking for those who would come and be involved, but, um, we just keep going. Well, I cannot help but think now because we have no idea who's going to watch this and when they're going to watch it. And knowing the power of God like we do, it's very possible that that replacement is going to see this video. You never know. And so we're going to make sure that we have contact information, uh, you know, contact myself or be able to contact them because there's nobody better to learn from than people that have served faithfully in a ministry like this for over three decades. I don't mean to make you sound old, but you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, they're very good at what they do. Uh, God's given them a tremendous ability to do that. And in any way, if God is leading you in some form or fashion to, to just check out the possibility that possibly this is something that he's put on your heart, I would definitely encourage you um, to explore that possibility. Right? Absolutely. So, so that would be a, a wonderful thing. I think we all, when we do this for a long time, we start to wonder how long. I mean, we're willing to do it as long as God tells us to do it, right? But there comes a point where he's going to say, okay, you're done. So where is the next person, right? We're looking for that next person up. Well, when he says we're done, it's, then we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're done. I'm going home. That's when I'm finished, I'm going home. So, um, yeah, we're just our, our director, uh, our president of our mission. Um, we met with him this past May and we were talking about these things and he said, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's our goal is just keep doing what we're doing. So like God led you both into the ministry and then your family. He obviously had a plan then and he obviously has a plan now. Absolutely. Right. We're kind of on this straight stretch that has a curve and we can't see what's around that curve, but we know that God does know what it is and it's beautiful over there somewhere. <laughs> Amen. And, and that's true for wherever you are as you're watching this podcast, whatever ministry you're in, or maybe you're not even in one, or maybe you're still exploring a relationship with God. God's been watching over you constantly and he knows exactly where you've been and every experience you've had. And so he definitely comes to meet you where you are because he's put you there. And so we encourage you to be pursuing however God is leading. Any other highlights or things that stand out over the course of the ministry? You gave us a great story. Any others that stand out? The only thing I can, uh, that I was thinking of sharing was in our current situation with... um, all of the the pandemic and and this whole thing mm-hmm. um, that's been going on, the deaf um, English is not their first language. It is sign language, okay. and again, it's not English. And so, English communication can be confusing. Mm-hmm. And 
that they've got all sorts, of, whether it's deaf or deafblind, there's all sorts of devices now that open up the, the world to them. And uh, we think of the internet as being something very visual, and yet everything on the internet has text embedded behind it. Mm -hmm. And so it, come, it can come through in braille, and these people are reading it in braille, and that's English, but they're thinking in sign language as they're mm. reading it, and, okay. and the deaf are getting it, and it's very confusing. And in some respects, very frightening. We have a, a young man, well, young to us, and um, he, he, he's constantly questioning, did I cause COVID? Did, did I make this happen? Is it my fault? Um, and constantly questioning whether God could even love him. Or Now, he has put his trust and faith in Christ. I am very confident that he knows the Lord. Uh, as confident as I can be of somebody else's salvation other than my own. And I've seen the change in his life. Mm -hmm. And yet right now he's going through a big struggle of depression, of, of fear. And, and I think he's not alone. I think there are many out there in the world who are going through this. And God has given us a unique opportunity to be there and to encourage him constantly. We live in the same apartments, uh, mm -hmm. complex, and... And he comes to our office, and he comes to our service. He's one of our interpreters. Uh, he interprets for a deaf-blind man, so here's a deaf interpreting for a deaf-blind. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 he's fighting through all of these things. And I and I I'm amazed at how God has strengthened him to do the fight. And yet it's hard on him. It's and it's and it's. I'm just so concerned for believers today being overly con, uh, fearful over what's going on and not being willing to go out and interact with people because that's why God left us here was to interact with people. Not fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ, which we need to do because right. we've been called to gather together for the encouragement of one another to love and good works. Um, we need to not buy into what the world is feeding us. And, and I just, uh, I, I'm seeing it in our small community of deafblind. By the way, I just, so people have an understanding of the community that we work with, Helen Keller National Center is the premier training center for deafblind in the nation. And they're very in tune with the, the whole deafblind community. In their estimation, there are 1.2 million deafblind in the country. Oh, wow. 125,000 of those deafblind live in Southern California. Now, that's people who are legally deafblind. They may have some vision, some sight, but legally they're deafblind. And they may be elderly where they've lost their sight and, uh, you know, because of glaucoma and lost their hearing because of uh, you know, age. Mm -hmm. but, but that's still a very large group of people. And sometimes sighted hearing people think of deafblind as being just a few. Mm -hmm. It's not. There is a large community of deafblind. And they are very interconnected. So if you reach one deafblind and you're able to get in communication and friendship and relationship with one deafblind, uh, you're probably touching more than one. Nice. Okay. Uh, so.
Fantastic. So I, I'm sure what you just brought up is something that a lot of people don't realize there's that many. And uh, that's a big mission field. Definitely, it is. for sure. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap it up with one last question. I'm going to let you kind of both address this question. All right. Whether it's a ministry like yours or any other type of ministry that God would be calling people to, often it's something that a person maybe never originally envisioned themselves doing. But God puts out the call. And it takes a, a big step of faith to shift from what was originally your plans or, or what you originally thought you were going to do. So what would be your advice? I mean, after being on this end of it and with more to go, how to clarify that. Not at the end. Yeah, not at the end, just on, with some, some mileage behind you. Okay, what, what would be your advice? Because some, a lot of people will never take the steps you took. And I, I want you to, in answering this question, think back now, 30 plus years ago, what have you decided, oh, that's crazy. No, it's too risky for our kids. No, we're, we're not gonna do that. I have a heart for it, but nah, couldn't do that. And so never took it. What would you have missed out on? I, I think that should become something that gets in people's heads. Instead of fearing how it's going to be, what will you miss if you don't follow the call of God? So maybe some advice. Go ahead. I'm thinking. Okay. All right. Well, um, I ask a question of college students that have come and visited our ministry from different Christian colleges or uh, Bible institutes. I ask the question, how many of you know what God's will for your life is? And, and there usually is no response uh, because they have no clue what God's will for their life is. But what they're hearing is, what does God want me to do for the rest of my life? And that's not the question I was asking question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is God's will for my life today? Now, if we think of that logically, we would realize that if you every day wake up and do what you know God wants you to do today, and you do that every day of your life, the place you're going to wind up is exactly where you're supposed to be. You will wind up in God's will for your life. So the secret is purpose in your heart to do God's will for your life daily. Will you fail? Yes. Will you sin? Yes. Uh, you fail, you get up and you do, keep going. If you sin, you confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from, from all unrighteousness. But on your job, on your, at your neighborhood, in your family, you, you've been left here as a believer in Jesus Christ. You've been left here to be a witness and a testimony for him. You are Christ's ambassador. You are a citizen of heaven. You have been left here for that purpose. That's the only reason we're here. So you get up and you go every day. Now, how the Lord directs, he may lead you to a job that you reach people for Christ. He may lead you to a school where you lead people to Christ. He may do it in your neighborhood. He may do it where he sends you to some place. Um, I developed something years ago when uh, this all happened to us and I tried to figure it out and tried to figure out what God had done and I thought you know, really nothing had changed for us nothing mm -hmm. 
we were still doing everything we did before, we're just doing it in a different place. And I thought, you know, when God, when, when everybody who's put their trust and faith in Christ realizes that you are a missionary, don't think of missionaries as being some profession, some special group of people, super saints. They're not. Missionaries aren't super saints. Uh, there are some really special missionaries I've met over the years, but they would not tell you that they're super saints. They, like Paul in Romans 7, who says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. This terrible struggle, the oh, wretched man that I am. We're all wretched before the Lord. We know that. We know who we are. So you you just realize you're a missionary, that God has called you and directed you to reach the lost for him. And then when the call comes, and my call was interesting, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, God has not called many, but he has called the foolish, the nothings, the, uh, the you know, the, the, the weak, uh, to confound the wise, the strong, and the those who are successful. Uh, that's me. I'm foolish. I'm nothing. I, I have no skills, no abilities. Uh, that's the way I felt. And to realize that God has called you, um, it's not a change of vocation because you're already a missionary wherever you're serving. It's just a change of location where you're doing it. All we did when we moved from Santa Clarita to Los Angeles to do this, or our friends who moved from Philadelphia to South Africa, or uh, different ones that we've known who've gone, it's just a change of location. They were doing that where they were. They're just doing it in a different place. Nice. And when you get that mindset, God can do some amazing things. And you ask the question, what would I have missed? Wow. I would have missed all the blessings of serving him, all the amazing things he has done. I mean, we can make this story super amazing that nobody could touch because missionaries can do that. God's done some amazing things in our lives, and, and we can make it sound super spiritual and special and you could, never, you could never attain to what's happened to us. And that's just not true. I'm telling you, you can do that every day. Mm -hmm. You lead your neighbor to the Lord, that neighbor is, is as special as any deaf blind we've ever led to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Everyone that doesn't know Christ needs to hear the gospel. And God has left his children here to do that. That's a great answer. I love it. Joan, anything? Wow, he covered a lot. He did, yeah, but it's good. <laughs> I guess I would say that um, my children would have missed out on their special upbringing. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they get together and they talk about their childhood. And, yeah, there's things that they should never have gotten into and, and stories they probably should never tell us because I had four kids. We had four kids, <laughs> and yeah. they managed to find mischief but their lives were all touched by the ministry. And so there's that. There's the fact that um, God has worked in our lives and grown us into different people than they, we were at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we've been a part of touching many lives 
And so, uh, yeah, we wouldn't want to do something different. Awesome. Well, I have enjoyed this time. I hope you both have as well. And I'm sure it's been a blessing to all of you who are going to be watching this. And we encourage you. We encourage you to do exactly what was just mentioned and throughout this whole podcast. And that's however God is giving you the opportunity today, where you are, uh, to take just full advantage of that. Live each day as if it's the most important day that has ever been in your life and step into whatever it is that God has for you. And the great thing about it is, is as we do that, he'll take care of the rest and everything else will fall into place. So God bless each one of you. We hope to see you again. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, please, on YouTube or whatever platform you're using. And again, if you want to contact myself or Jim and Joan Hansen, please reach out. We'll be happy to get back to you. Take care and we'll see you on the next episode of the Audacious Faith Podcast.